Welcome to the Grove Community Church Worship Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. Here's this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. Who's the greatest basketball coach to ever coach in college basketball? Barry. All right, your name's not Barry, but Barry. All right, so you would go Pat Summerlin, okay. Some might say Mike Krzyzewski, right, because he's current. Pal, I was going to come to you next, actually. So who, who did you say? No, no, yours is, no, there's a reason why I want to come to you next. Who did you say? Say it again. John Wooden. And why do you think he's the greatest basketball coach that ever coached? He did have a tough job where he was. He was at UCLA, and he won how many national championships there? I don't remember the number. Barry, do you remember the number? It's, it's crazy. He's won a lot. Does anybody know? You're like, what in the world is Todd? Todd's done lost his mind. His shoe is off, and you're, some of you are just realizing that. Does anybody know what John Wooden's first lesson was when you came in as a freshman? Now, remember this. He had some of the best basketball players to ever play college ball play for him. Some of you might know Lou Alcindor, but you might know him as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Or Bill Walton. Or name any of those great players that came through his program. And they were all what would be today a five-star, top-rated, best-in-the-nation basketball athlete coming into college. And they show up thinking, I'm the best one in the nation, and here I am walking into practice for the first day as a freshman. And what was John Wooden's first lesson? How to tie your shoe, and it started with how to put your sock on. And so he would take the guys and he would make them take their shoes off and their socks off. And, and these guys are like, what are you doing? I came to play basketball, not learn how to put my socks on. But his first lesson always was how to put on your sock. And he told them that he would say something like this, that the sock, oh gosh, man, I'm getting old. That the sock is the most important part of your uniform if you want to play well. And if your sock's not on right, you will not be able to play well. Because your sock is made with a seam on it. And if that seam is to the left or to the right too much, it's going to rub in your shoe. And if it rubs in your shoe, it's going to create a blister. And if you have a blister, it's probably going to open and bleed and ooze. And if that starts to happen to you, you're going to be thinking about your blister at some point in the game instead of thinking about the game. Instead of playing intuitively, you're going to be concerned about what's going on with your foot. So you've got to get your sock right. You've got to put on, golly, that stool almost made me fall. You've got to put your sock on right. And once you've got your sock on right, then the next important thing is your shoe. Now, when you put your shoe on, you've got to make sure that your foot falls in perfect line with where the arch support is, that it goes in just right, and that you pull up and make sure that there are no wrinkles at the back or at the front, that your 
tongue, and this was, he would spend a lot of time on the tongue, that your tongue was perfectly even, that there was no bunches up on your tongue, that it didn't curl up anywhere, that it was perfectly flat. Then he would go through and talk about lacing your shoe up and how you start, not just by tying it, but you start by going all the way to the bottom and start tightening from the bottom lace up. And at every eye, you pull tight so that you create just the right amount of tension and protection. And then you carefully tie your shoe, but you just don't leave it in a single knot. You double knot it. That's how you become a great basketball player. Now, it's not the only thing, but it's the essential thing. It's the first thing. It's the foundational thing. That was his first lesson. Today we're going to look at how to put on our socks and shoes of thankfulness. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Colossians 3. We're going to be looking at a set of verses that come towards the middle and end of Colossians 3. We're going to start with verse 12 and go through verse 17. What you need to know is that Paul has been talking to this, via this letter. He's been writing to the people of Colossae. And he's been engaging them in what it looks like to live for Christ. What does it mean to be like Christ? What does it mean to follow him? What does it mean to live for him? What does it mean to live like him? And so he says when we become Christians, we put off the old ways and we put on the new ways. We put off the old self and put on the new self. And in the first part of this chapter, he kind of talks about what that old self stuff looks like. And then he comes to this point. He says, verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So he starts off with who we are. Who are we? We are chosen ones. We are holy and we are beloved. Now, do you always feel holy? If you do, I want to know your trick, because I don't. He doesn't say that you are holy because of the things you do. He's saying that you are holy because of who you belong to. You are holy precisely because Jesus Christ stepped in and died for you. You are holy because you are His. You're not holy because you earned holiness. You're holy because he has put holiness on you. He sees you as holy, and then he enables you to be holy. You don't earn it. You can't muster it up yourself. You are holy just because you are his. And because you are his, you are also, the second word there is beloved. God loves you desperately. He loves you with a deep passion. He loves you as strong and as, and as much as, as, as love can ever be experienced. You are loved because you are His. So if we're going to understand what it means to be thankful, and if we're going to understand what Paul wants us to understand from Colossians here, we have to start with the foundation. We have to understand that we belong to Him, that we are beloved by Him, and that He has something more for us. And that more is He wants us to be like Christ. He wants us to live this holy life. So how do we do that then? What does that look like? Well, we put on kindness, 
humility, meekness, and patience. Verse 13, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. So we are kind, we are humble, we are meek, we are patient, we bear with one another, and we forgive one another. Why? Because the Lord has forgiven you as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. So he's talking here, obviously, about the people in Colossians, in Colossae, the Colossians. He's saying that, look, guys, if you want to be his, if you belong to him, and if you are beloved, and if you want to be holy, you've got to start by allowing change to happen in your life. You've got to be meek. You've got to be kind. You've got to be humble. You've got to be patient. And all these things. Now, let me tell you something. Not many of those things come natural to any of us. How many of you are humble? See, that's a, that's, yeah, that's kind of like the question, did you stop beating your wife, right? As soon as you answer it, you look like, wait, wait, what? Yes, no? The point is, none of us, if we raised our hands, we would then no longer be humble. Does that make sense? And so, humility is not something that comes natural to us. Meekness is not something that comes natural to us. Patience is certainly not something that comes natural to us. So if he's telling us to be all these things, how are we supposed to do it? He goes on in verse 14. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So how do we do all this? We put on love. Just like taking a moment to stop and carefully put on a sock. Because it's the foundation. The foundation is putting on love. And when we put on love, all these other things kind of get caught up in that and follow. And so your next question ought to be, well, what in the world does it mean to put on love? Does anybody know the answer to that? Well, let's go on and see if it tells us. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body... And be thankful. So if we're going to love one another, if we're going to put on love, which binds all of this together, it's connected to this idea of let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Now we've talked about this before, and this word for peace means what? Now shalom is the Hebrew word, but there's a different word for it, for it in, in Greek. But what does this word mean? What does shalom in Hebrew mean? What, what does peace mean? You can answer that. I know you can answer. You're just not answering that. So what does it mean? Yeah, so your whole life is in alignment, right? It's wholeness. Your whole life is in alignment with the work of God. That's what shalom means. It doesn't mean just be peaceful. It doesn't mean just peace and what up. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean just a lack of anger or a lack of conflict. Peace means when you are in that 
in that perfect spot, when you are intentionally in connection and your whole being is in alignment with God. That's what peace is. So, how do we put on love? We align ourselves with the peace of God. We become who He wants us to be. Our whole life aligns with what He has for us. That's what peace means. Now, Paul adds to that meaning. We don't have time to go and look at all the ways he does that, but he adds to that meaning, and it can be simply added this way. Paul also means by peace, the peace of Christ. Now, let me break that down because that means multiple things in and of itself. The peace of Christ means that we are now at peace with God because of Christ. Does that make sense? So because Christ died for us, now we're at peace in this relationship with God that we couldn't be at peace because of our sin. But Christ removes that. So when Paul talks about peace, he also means the removal of sin from your life. The forgiveness that God gives us. But peace also means then the way that Jesus lived. So when he says the peace of Christ, he means that just as Jesus walked in harmony and intentionality with his whole being aligned with the Father, so we can have that same thing. The peace of Christ then means also live like Jesus did. And then the peace of Christ also means that peace that he gives us through the Holy Spirit when he comes into our lives and he begins to change us. So peace means all of those things on top of shalom. So when Paul says the peace of Christ, in essence he's saying when you fall in alignment with who Jesus is, empowered by his spirit, following him and doing his will. It's total surrender to the spirit at work. Does that make sense? And so that's what peace is. So when Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in you. And by the way, this word for rule is only, this is the only place it occurs in the New Testament. And it means, uh, it means almost like an umpire or the rules of the game. This came from the Olympic Games. This word is a Greek word that came from the Greek Olympic Games. And it means someone who watches over and directs. It's someone who controls what's going on. So let the peace of Christ control all that is going on in your life. Let the peace of Christ, His wholeness, His forgiveness, His love, His spirit, let it control all that you are. Let Him be the one that's overseeing how your life is carried out. So how do we put on kindness and humility and meekness and patience? How do we bear with one another? How do we forgive one another? How do we put on love? It starts by putting on the sock just correctly. And that sock is the peace of Christ. The foundation for everything that follows is for us to align ourselves and to submit ourselves to the will and the rule of Christ. Let him be in control of all that we do. He is the one overseeing and controlling us. I used this analogy last week. He's like the chess master. And we're just a pawn on the board. It's allowing him to move us. And to use us for his ultimate purpose. Now, here's what I will say. Where the analogy breaks down is in chess, the pawn can't move itself. 
The queen can't move itself. The bishop can't move itself. God is the kind of God that doesn't force us to do what he wants. He's the kind of God that invites us into his will. And we can choose whether to do it or not. We can choose whether to put the sock on correctly or not. But if we want the peace of Christ to rule in us, then we have to submit ourselves to him. So then he follows up that phrase with, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. And, Kai, be, Ginomai, thankful. Eschatoles. Anyway, I have it written on the, totally went blank. Have it written on the uh, on on the um, the verse of the week. This one sentence, this one phrase, is made up of three words, and this is what thankfulness comes from. This gives us the understanding of what thankfulness really is, where it comes from, and how we live it out. And be thankful. But the word "be" there is a verb, and it is a present, middle or passive imperative. So some of you just completely glazed over and I understand that. Let me break that down for you. It's present, which means in the Greek, when you come into a present tense, it's ongoing. So it's continually. It's not just a one-time action. It's not, oh, just go be thankful. Just be thankful for one day of the year. Just be thankful for one day. We'll call it Thanksgiving and we'll eat turkey. Or just be thank thankful for one week. The week of Thanksgiving when people come into town and you have all your family around and then they leave and then you're thankful because they left, right? Just be, just be thankful for one week. That's not what it means. It's continually be thankful. So that's the present part of the verb. That's, that's the tense. Present, be. But not just be, continually be. Make it who you are. Make it an everyday thing. Every day of your life, be. But it's also a, ma a passive or a middle verb, which means that you are not the one doing the action, but someone else is. So a better translation is not and be thankful, but and be made or and become. Not be, but and become thankful. And continually be becoming thankful would be a very literal translation. And continually be, be becoming. Thankful. And it's an imperative. It's what you have to do. It's who we are created to be. So because of that, if we're going to understand the peace of Christ, then we have to understand that it's connected to this thankfulness. That 
The peace of Christ ruling in us is, the, is where our thankfulness come from, comes from. We can't truly be, in other words, we can't truly be thankful if the peace of Christ isn't ruling in us. If we haven't submitted ourselves to, to God's plan, if we're not allowing Him to, to be over all that we have and all that we are, then guys, we're missing on what true thankfulness is. We're missing out on all there is to be thankful about. We live in a culture... We live in a culture that says, look, you can't be happy until. Or if you want to be happy, you have to have. Or you have to achieve. Or you have to be. But that's not what Scripture teaches us. Thankfulness grows out of not what we can achieve or what we can have or what we can do for ourselves. Happiness and thankfulness comes out of a relationship with Christ where we're submitted to him. And his peace, his way of being infiltrates every part of us. There's a correlation between your thankfulness and your relationship with God. There's a correlation between your thankful quotient, how thankful you are, and how connected you are to God. Put another way, the more connected you are to God, the more thankful you will become. And I'm not just like, ah, oh, thanks, avocado, like I talked about last week, but really thankful. Like, to your bones thankful. Have you ever been moved so much by something that someone's done that you just don't, you, there aren't even words to say thanks? I know I have. By two of the people sitting in here today, three, and really more of you guys, over and over again, I am thankful for what you all have done for me and for this community and how you've impacted other lives. Guys, there is a, there is a feeling of thankfulness that's something I can't explain that's deep down in my bones, and it's because it's not from me. It's from, it's from Christ. So our thankfulness is directly in relationship to our connectedness to God. We have a lot of surface thanks. Oh, thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for that. Thank you for this. Thanks for thinking about me. Thanks for... And some of that surface, most of that surface, but thankfulness like this really means just deep down in. And become, continually become thankful. And how do you be continually become thankful? By allowing the peace of Christ to rule in you. And then he says, one more thing to allow that to happen. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word of Christ means the truth of who Jesus is. The things that he taught and the way he lived. That's what the word of Christ means. It's who he was, what he taught, what he did, the way he lived. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. Let it take up residence in you. Let it be among you. Let it be within you. This is both an individual experience of Christ and a communal experience of Christ. So when he says, let Christ dwell in you, let the word of Christ dwell in you, he doesn't mean just you singularly. Let Jesus come and dwell in you, but let Jesus dwell in you and among you. Do you see what that means? 
That as we put on the peace of Christ, as we let him take control of our life, we become thankful that he dwells in us. And as he dwells in us, he dwells among us. As we are connected to him, it impacts us and it impacts everyone we come into contact with. His, his love, his peace, his grace dwells in us and it dwells among us, around us. We become instruments of it. So going back to what I said earlier then, that if we really want to experience thankfulness, that our thankfulness quotient is connected to how connected we are to God and how we're allowing God then to connect us to others. That's what thankfulness is. So he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in all your hearts or in your hearts to God. Then he goes on, verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And he sums it all up with this one verse, right? So whatever you do, in word and deed, wherever you go, whatever, whatever thoughts come through your mind, whatever decisions you make in your life, whatever actions you take, whatever words you speak, whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's putting on the sock. It's saying, I'm going to put Jesus on. I'm going to dwell and let him dwell in me. I'm going to let his peace be what controls me and rules me and changes me and moves me. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then it says, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So that as we allow Christ to dwell in us and move in us and use us and his peace to cover us and all of that stuff, then we become a people of thanks. And people become thankful for us. That's what thanksgiving is. And so the challenge for us goes back, right? And be continually be becoming thankful. Continually be in relationship with God and allow him to dwell in you and to move you and to change you and to direct you. And do you remember what I said last week were the two parts of the, the root word for thankfulness? Charis. The first one was grace, and the second one was the gift or the gift of the Spirit. So if we are going to live in peace, if we are going to let the peace of Christ dwell in us, then and the love of Christ to dwell in us, the word of Christ to dwell in us, then we have to tap into the grace and the Spirit of God at work in us. I read this as an aspirational verse. This is what I aspire to be. This is what I long to be. That whatever I do in word and deed, everything that I do in every aspect of my life, that it's for the name of the Lord Jesus, and that I live a life of true thankfulness. That's what I aspire to be. When I was a kid, I aspired to be a great basketball player. I wanted to be the best on my team. I wanted to be the best in the league. And so I read about John Wooden. 
And I read about his leadership. Back then, we didn't have uh, internet that wasn't invented yet because Al Gore wasn't, hadn't invented it yet. <laughs> and so I hadn't, I hadn't no clue how to Google search anything. I didn't even know what Google was. I was that, that would have been kind of a weird phrase back then, right? You need to Google it. Wait, hey, easy fella, I don't know what you just said. But you heard stories. And my coaches told me stories about great leaders like John Wooden. And I heard the story of the socks. And I promise you this, that every time I went to play basketball, whether it was practice or whether it was a game or whether it was just in my backyard, I took time to make sure my socks were right and my shoes were put on correctly and they were tied precisely because I wanted to be the best. I aspire to be a great basketball player. But if I aspire now to be this, then I got to be becoming continually thankful. I've got to allow the peace and the reign of Christ to dwell in me, to move me. And only when I do that can I live up to this. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. I hope this message was meaningful and powerful to you, but I also hope that it was challenging. And as always, don't just hear it, put it into action. Until next week, have a great one.